0: case some of this is omg this is the rich eisen show no other way to put it with guest host brian weber oh my gosh live from the rich eisen show studio in los angeles i'm not talking to you i talk to anybody out there the haters rich eisen i talk to the haters right now and now sitting in for rich here's brian weber
1: Welcome to the program. Great to have you with us on a jam-packed Monday. Ton to get to, but as always, the goal is to be interactive. With the caveat, big word early on on the show, we take phone calls selectively, 844-204-7424. But I am open to having the conversation with you because Rich is always mindful of getting you fully involved. Candidly, your best bet's Twitter. If it's still operational, I just refreshed. Yes, the infrastructure's working. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Hopefully, you know the name. Yes, I'm just that egotistical. Perhaps you know the voice because I've been so fortunate to sit in for Rich on a variety of occasions. It's a real honor, and I focus solely on not destroying the brand he's worked so hard to achieve. Got a lot to get to. Going to go heavy on the NBA, as you might expect. Let me reach over, hit the button. Countdown to the NBA Finals is underway. But remember, it won't tip until next Thursday. That's locked in unless the league realizes probably not great to have a full week off for people to talk about, oh, I don't know, John Morant and other negative stories. So we're going to spend... A good portion of this first hour of the program going through the wreckage of a Boston massacre last night on South Beach. What has happened to the Celtics? Now, we should give Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and the rest of the Heat some credit. But you know how it works in Sports Talk Radio. We lean into the negativity. And the Celtics have given us a lot of material to work with. Just two guests along the way. Meaning... More opportunities for your voice to be heard, 844-204-7424, and start the tweets coming, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, wide open here in hour number one. In fact, we will not bring in another outside voice unless you pick up the telephone until we get to the conclusion of the second hour of the program coming up at 1.40 Eastern time. We'll talk MBA. not only the fallout from that gruesome game for the Celtics that now has the heat on the cusp of a sweep. We're also going to spend a lot of time, coming up in the next hour of the program, getting you fully lined up for the closeout possibility for the Nuggets tonight here in Los Angeles as I come to you from our Regal Studios, furnished by Granger in Southern California. Will the Lakers show up tonight? We'll cover it all with Kurt Heelan, lead NBA writer, for NBCSports.com. And then because this is the Rich Eisen Show. I listen every day when I'm in the car or I watch the tremendous visuals. I don't say TV anymore because, as you know, it's streaming gloriously on the Roku channel. Rich Talks Hockey. Turn on the red light. So we'll spend a little bit of time. I'm not going to devote a huge portion of the final hour of the program. But at 2.40 Eastern time, we'll bring in a man who I'm predicting, even though I try my best to come with five hours of material and cram it into a three-hour bag. I'll only need four questions to get the best out of Pierre Maguire, the longtime hockey analyst. You saw him ice level for years on NBC. You can see him currently as the postseason has been phenomenal on the ice. He's part of an ensemble show called Stanley Cup Central, produced by the league on YouTube. 40 minutes from now, we're talking golf. I'm not breaking down stroke by stroke the winning equation that Brooks Kepka utilized to bounce back from his meltdown at the Masters and win the PGA Championship. As you heard on Westwood One, phenomenal coverage as always over the weekend. Kepka taking the Wanamaker Trophy for the third time. I want to... Expand our focus. What does that victory mean for the live tour? 20 minutes from now, again, because I know Rich would devote a lot of time to, in my estimation, what was the biggest and most important story over the weekend from a historical perspective, the passing of Jim Brown. We'll talk about his life and legacy. And here's a preview and I'm only 53, not 83, but my gimmick getting into the business a million years ago was I knew history. And, yes, I've been replaced by a search engine. AI is coming for my job next. But since this is in my wheelhouse, not only is Jim Brown the greatest football player of them all, he's in the conversation amongst the short list of the most talented, versatile athletes we've ever seen. Brian Weber in for Rich. Where is Rich, you might wonder? Well... If you were listening, you heard last week, and Susie Schuster, the better half of the Eisen household, was laying out the itinerary the other day. Rich and the entire show are in New York. Not only a triumphant return to the Big Apple, where Rich grew up, but this is a big day for the show. The whole gang in New York City for the Sports Emmy Awards tonight. The program nominated again for Best Studio Show, making history for the Roku channel. And Rich, because he's too modest to emphasize this, also was up for an individual honor nominated as Best Studio Host. So that tells you I have a high threshold. I really got to step my game up, and I've already meandered for a couple minutes. But as a fill-in host, I want to establish we can have the conversation and who I am, if you care at all. Who are the Boston Celtics? What has happened to this franchise? The easiest knee jerk reaction, and if I was rolling phone calls on WEEI or any of the other outstanding radio stations across New England, today is Fire Joe Missoula Monday. And I get it. And Joe is not aiding his cause to keep that job, a job, remember he was never supposed to have. This was a team that made it to the NBA finals last year, had a 2-1 lead over the Warriors, in large part because of the coaching acumen of M.A. Udoka. And Udoka obviously made poor decisions, not only in his personal life, but it impacted his professional career arc, got fired for violating a team policy, although he's rebounded quickly. And if you saw his introductory press conference in Houston, nobody seemed to care about the circumstances of his departure in Boston. But one of the primary reasons why Udoka transformed that team was their buy-in defensively. And I'm not breaking it down possession by possession. But Boston last year was the second-best team in the postseason defensively. This year, they've been an absolute disaster. Is that all on Missoula? I'm not here to tell you I'm an insider. I'm not in that locker room, but a lot of what happens defensively comes down to the identity of a team, how the coach prioritizes what the focal point is going to be, and then, I think most significantly, the buy-in from the players. So, in the NBA, of all the leagues, it's a player-star-driven league. And Boston has not only a first-team All-NBA performer and Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, just behind him on the second team, which qualified him for a super max contract. That tandem, remember, they're both young, not even close to turning 30. That tandem, considered to be the best young duo in all of hoops, broke through to make it to the finals last year. Had to believe when Milwaukee got stunned by, yes, Miami, and I will get to the heat. I'm not just going to throw dirt metaphorically on the Celtics, but did you see that game last night? And it occurred to me watching the absolute lack of energy and the laissez fare, the overwhelming sense of dread from the Celtics. And I can understand that perspective. They're down 15 at the half. Next thing you know, they're down 30 after another monumental third quarter, as Miami put together also in game one on the road in Boston. But here's the Celtic team that had to believe internally when Miami defeated Milwaukee. Remember, the Bucks had the best record in all of basketball in the regular season. If we're going to have context, Giannis did go down with a back injury, did come back, but certainly a mitigating factor. Although that cost Mike Budenholzer his job. Mike's a two-time head coach of the year award winner in the NBA. He got whacked because his team underachieved. If Mike couldn't survive, what are the odds that Joe Mazzula is employed whenever this series ends, which could be as soon as tomorrow with the Heat looking to close it out? And, yes, the series is over. This is not Hot Take Alley. In fact, I'll steal from the graphic I saw on TNT I scribbled it down, and we knew it to be true. No team has ever come back from the 3-0 deficit in the history of the NBA postseason. We've seen it in hockey. We've seen it in baseball. Never in the history of the NBA. In fact, with a possibility for two sweeps getting us after the NBA Finals, it is worthy of bringing up that the number is gargantuan. 0-149 are the circumstances of teams trying to come back from that 3-0 death sentence. So the series is over. It's just a matter of timing. And then after that, what's next for the Celtics? And the reason I'm focusing so much on Boston, to be fully candid with you, is I'm back tomorrow because after tonight's festivities in New York, Rich is going to have to make his way back to Southern California So, you got to deal with me tomorrow as well. I'm Brian Weber in for Rich Eisen. Monday edition of the program. You can hop aboard at 844-204-7424. Twitter is available and percolating at Weber Weber with two Bs. I'm going to be talking a lot about the heat tomorrow trying to close out Boston. And I'm back with you on Memorial Day, a day that Rich always takes off. So, you're getting a little sprinkling of the fill-in host. And I'm going to be talking a lot about the heat then. So, I'm making a business decision to spend the majority of the monologue on what is missing from the Celtics because the personnel has not changed. And undeniably, they were the deepest team in all of basketball. We forget they added Malcolm Brogdon in the offseason. So what has happened for this team to fall apart? And again, I don't want to be too bottom line oriented and just look at Joe Missoula as the agent of change because he's really the only thing that changed. And yes, there were question marks when he was hired because he had no head coaching experience of any kind. So a lot of this is on Brad Stevens. And remember, when Brad decided or was encouraged to move to the front office, either way, that led to the coaching change. Boston's working on three coaches in three years. And I do think there was a degree of internal arrogance when they made the decision to fire M.A. Yudoka. We got this. Plug and play. Look at our roster. And a lot of this, in my opinion, comes down to Stevens, who's assembled a roster and knows the pieces because he used to coach the team and he's not that far removed from the bench in the locker room. So he should be aware of the internal dynamics. Got a figure that he thought, okay, well, look at this roster. We made it to the NBA Finals last year. I can pick anybody. I can make this work. And, hey, Joe, you're here. You're doing a nice job in practice. I know you're not even 35 years old. You'd be the youngest coach in the NBA. I know you have no head coaching experience. Don't worry about it, pal. We'll do it together. Because remember organizations win championships as we learned in the last dance and if you're old enough to remember the debacle that was the Chicago Bulls oh Jerry Krause the late Jerry Krause thinking that you don't need Jordan you don't need Pippen you don't need Robin the organization is the reason why that dynasty was born in Illinois so a lot of this comes down to arrogance in my view from Brad Stevens that he picked a guy who was not qualified nor prepared for this job. Now, Joe's doing all he can not only to act like he fits into New England. I figure he's going to be talking about goodwill hunting next. You've heard all of the jokes about a guy watching the town every day. And unfortunately, Affleck and Damon are not walking through that door. Nor are Bird and McHale and Parrish because the Celtics wouldn't know what to do with them at this stage of a meltdown. Joe postgame said all the right things, but it just felt like he had read a book, Coaching for Dummies, or had watched too many postgame press conferences, especially in the NFL, when all these guys go, John Wayne, we lost because of coaching. It starts with me. They weren't ready to play is effectively what Joe Mazzulla said after that hideous performance yesterday. And I'll be candid with you. Part of me was not disappointed. Obviously, I want a great game to talk about. But I'll be fully upfront with you because no show integrates sports and entertainment better than the Rich Eisen show. If you are aware of prestige television – It was also the second-to-last episode of Succession last night. So I'm watching the game. I'm watching the game, understanding now I can hit that button anytime I want to and see what's going on with the funeral of Logan Roy. And once we got to 30, I will be very upfront with you. I did not watch the entire fourth quarter. I know. Shouldn't say that out loud. I will not be back with you tomorrow. But at that point, it had gotten just so damn embarrassing, you wondered – Does anybody on the Celtics even care? Because that's how poor a performance it was. The numbers are immaterial. But what's happened to Jason Tatum? If Jason Tatum wants to be potentially, because remember, he's still a young guy, not only an MVP contender, somebody who could be in the conversation to be the future face of the NBA, you got to make a three-pointer. One of seven from distance. Jalen Brown has been out of sorts. I don't know what's going on with him. He could not make a shot from long distance. That's not an exaggeration. Oh of seven from three point range. And it felt like he got his soul ripped out of him when Bam put that spinner Ramon Brown in the second quarter that broke the internet. So I've been saying for fifteen minutes, I'm gonna give Miami some credit. Miami is your quintessential team. Taking nothing away from Jimmy Butler, and I'll throw it out there. I don't usually do a show question, but I would appreciate your input, either with a phone call, 844-204-7424, or you can slide in, not to my DMs, but slide into my Twitter account, BWWeber, Weber with two P's. What's the comp for Jimmy Butler? A player who has been good in the regular season, but there's a reason why, beyond his intensity, he's bounced around the league think Chicago would like to have him back. How about Philadelphia or Minnesota? But I can't think, and I'm not supposed to be admitting that I'm fallible, I can't think of a direct comparison of a player who has been so superior in the postseason. Not talking about clutch Jerry West kind of stuff, because Jerry was phenomenal in regular season. I'm trying to point out a distinction between regular season Jimmy and playoff Jimmy. He has been transcendent, and last night didn't even have to do anything because that game was such of a beatdown. Only needed 16. The great Gabe Vincent, who? Yeah, I know him because I'm based here on the West Coast, and I call college basketball in this region. You'll recall, or if you didn't know, now you know, he went to UC Santa Barbara. He's a gaucho, wasn't even drafted. How is he scoring 29 points? Streus on the loose. My issue with Miami has been, throughout this entire run, going back to, unless you want to hang an asterisk on them, the appearance in the NBA Finals in the bubble, losing to the Lakers, how are they doing this without any real assistance for playoff Jimmy? And the answer is, they are a wonderfully coached team. If we're just going to spend time denigrating Missoula, we got to give recognition to Eric Spolstra and perhaps... As the Celtics were trying to figure out on the fly what to do after they fired Emma Yudoka, they thought of the quote-unquote Miami model. And we hear it, and we see it on social media. Heat culture. Because Pat Riley got buried for going with Eric Spolstra. LeBron wanted him fired. Well, it's fairly obvious, unfortunately, for Joe Missoula, at least for now. And I do think Missoula survives. I'm going to tell you why coming up. Missoula is no Eric Spolstra. And again, I'm not getting into all of the nuances of breaking down a game, but because I do some play-by-play at the college level and I'm paid to pay attention, Spolstra is doing magical things defensively. He's mixing and matching between zone and man. He's making all the right adjustments. So you have the stark distinction. If we were playing this out category by category, clearly coming in, The only advantage I would have given from an overall element to the Heat was coaching. And that's a no-brainer. And yes, you figured, okay, Butler is going to be phenomenal as he was last year. You have to add a little bit more texture to Miami when you say, well, they were the eighth seed. They had to survive the play, and they were the top seed last year. I was here for Rich on Memorial Day talking about that Game 7 for the ages. Butler almost single-handedly carried the Heat into the NBA Finals. Boston survived and advanced, came down to the final minute, and here we are with Miami doing exactly the same thing. Some of it is flat-out effort and commitment and tenacity. Miami wants it more, but... A lot of it, in my view, comes down to what is lacking for the Celtics. Missoula probably survives. I do think that Boston doesn't want to admit they made a glaring mistake. They will come up with some rationale to hang on to Joe, probably go out and get a veteran assistant, the Tex Winter type, to sit next to him because not only – Does Joe not know how to handle himself at a press conference? He is completely clueless when it comes to using his timeouts. But this is on the superstars. This is on Tatum and Brown. And we have to have a conversation. I'm going to do it moving forward. Does this still work? Is this a good fit? Remember, Brown, according to reports, was miffed when his name came up in the Kevin Durant trade talk. Because he had to be thinking, what, you're going to move me? What about Tatum? But we all know this is Tatum's team. So if you're a Boston fan, you can tell me on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs, what's the post-mortem? What's going to change? What would you like to see happen in the offseason? Because if you just run it back, you're going to get a similar outcome. Something has been askew for the Celtics. Understanding that once Milwaukee went down, they were the overwhelming favorite to win it all because they have the best roster. Think about all the good players on that team. Horford and Smart and either Williams. Although, memo to Grant, and he's going to skate because it's Monday and we don't remember what happened before the weekend, especially because that game was so abysmal yesterday. But if you're Grant Williams, and I know he got bailed out by Jimmy Butler saying, I admire anyone who will get in my grill. How about this? Don't trash talk Jimmy Butler ever. But don't do it in the postseason. Because remember, you go back to that game on Friday. Celtics were up 96-87, six minutes to go. Grant's feeling it after he knocks the shot down. And he gets in Butler's grill. And Boston collapses moving forward. So whatever decision the Celtics have made, lack of timeouts, defensive adjustments, because where is the defense on this team? Or trying to talk smack, everything has been wrong. So what's going to get better in the offseason? We can talk about it at 844-204-7424 or hit me up on Twitter, B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Much more NBA to get to. We will tip off our number two of the program, shifting our attention to downtown LA. Now the difference between the Celtics and the heat in the matchup between Denver and the Lakers. Lakers arguably could be up 2-1. I don't want Michael. Don't call him Mike. I don't want Michael Malone calling me at 844-204-7424. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. I am in no way taking away from Denver but if you watch the games, you know last two have swung on the fourth quarter. In fact, go back to game one after... Lakers rally from nearly 20 down. LeBron had a look at a three with 45 seconds to go to give him a lead, or at least tie the game. Three-point game late. So, Lakers have had a variety of chances. Do they even show up tonight? Does pride matter? Does Denver start thinking about, well, we want to close this out at home because we've never been to the NBA Finals and we want to share it with the folks in Denver. We'll go through all of the potential elements you need to track heading into a closeout scenario in Los Angeles. As mentioned, we'll get to the golf coming up about 20 minutes from now. If I'm talking golf, it's only because it's a major and big personalities are involved. Plus, I'll find a way to finagle Tiger and his latest legal issues into our thoughts on what Brooks Kepka's victory at Oak Hill means for the Live Tour coming up because I know Rich would spend a good portion of time on this important subject, where he here will reflect on the life and legacy of Jim Brown. Was he not only the greatest running back of them all, the greatest football player we've ever seen, or does he rank amongst the most incredible athletes we've ever encountered here in the U.S.? I won't go too global, although I'm a Pelé guy, if you remember the last time I was here. Just getting warmed up on a very busy Monday. Always a delight to be with you and defend Rich's phenomenal brand. I'm Brian Weber in for Rich. It's the Rich Eisen Show.
0: Hey, folks, it's time for the NFL draft, which means for me, I need a good night's sleep because if I don't have one, just not myself, you know the deal.
1: Welcome back to the Rich Eisen Show radio network. Brian Weber in for Rich. I am sitting at the Rich Eisen Show desk furnished by Granger with supplies and solutions for every industry. Granger has the right product for you. Call quickgrainger.com or just stop by. 844-204-7424. You can slide into all the action on social media. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. In less than 15 minutes, we'll talk some golf, I am not taking you stroke by stroke, recapping what went down in Rochester, but we will expand the focus to Gib Brooks Kepka, his recognition, especially his ability to bounce back from wasn't a full collapse. It wasn't Norman esque, his boss now in the live tour at Augusta, because you also have to acknowledge that John Rahm was spectacular going back to the Masters, but Kepka. Learn from that process. Really wasn't that tested and able to maintain that one-shot lead. He had the rest of the way. Picking up another major. He's got three PGA championships. And we will also spend some time on the significance of this win for the Saudi Tour. What's it mean for the live guys moving forward? Jim Brown not only was a superhuman figure in football, and we found out on Friday that he had passed away at the age of 87. Jim Brown was also a transcendent individual from a standpoint of society, since, as I mentioned, nobody talks more about the nexus of sports and entertainment than the Rich Eisen show. Jim Brown was one of the first people to cross over from being a sports hero to somebody that we saw on the big screen. In fact, and I know the young people right now are groaning, story time with Uncle Brian. I'm not taking you back to the black and white film of Jim Brown being unstoppable, going back to his days at Syracuse, where he was a lacrosse player. And if we're talking about the greatest, most talented, versatile athletes of them all, Undeniably, Jim's in that conversation with Jim Thorpe. People forget that Wilt Chamberlain, beyond being the most dominant basketball player we've ever seen, also excelled at track at Kansas. Wilt went on to play pro volleyball briefly after basketball. Jim Brown, when he decided that he was not going to take a low-ball offer from Art Modell and walked away from football at the age of 30 while he was in the U.K. shooting the Dirty Dozen, changed the entire paradigm for athletes after Jim Brown because he bet on himself. And he said, I can do as well or better trying to become a movie star. And he wasn't ever a box office smash, but Jim Brown was in a lot of good films and beyond the Cisco and Ebert bit I could do, because the Dirty Dozen, if you ever catch it late night on Turner, flipping around, still holds up, Jim proved that you could parlay success on the field into making an impact in showbiz. And beyond that, and I'm not getting political, but there's no way you could reflect on the legacy of Mr. Brown without mentioning all of his important work in the civil rights movement, what he meant to inner-city America. I'm, as mentioned, in Southern California. Jim, for years, worked to combat gang violence, especially here in L.A. Jim Brown was a larger-than-life figure. If we're just talking the hierarchy of the greatest running backs of them all, in my mind, he's clearly number one. You can pick whomever you like from your generation. Remember when he walked away? At the age of 30, that bears repeating. This is not a Gail Sayers having to retire situation or Sandy F- Koufax having to give up baseball because the arm just would not respond anymore. Jim had enough pride and knew his own value that he wasn't going to accept the low ball offer from Art Modell and figured, let's give Hollywood a shot, and he made it work. So if we're just talking running backs. Jim's, in my view, clearly number one, understanding that Emmett has the all-time rushing title if we're thinking about the greatest football players of all time you're going to tell me well a fellow named Tom Brady has all those rings that's not the conversation I'm having and I'm not doing Mount Rushmore's here I'm just giving you observations Tom Brady is the most accomplished football player of them all unless you want to talk Otto Graham and now I'm doing Mad Dog Russo here but Otto Graham <laughs> won a ton of championships also for the Cleveland Browns in the 1940s back in the All-American Football Conference, but I'm not going to get too far in the weeds here. Jerry Rice was the player I thought was the greatest all-around football player, and maybe I'm biased because I saw him in his prime when I was a local television anchor in San Francisco. Jerry, the best wide receiver of them all. But I don't think it's really that much of a conversation. I think Jim Brown was clearly the greatest football player we've ever seen. I did not see him in person because he didn't come into the league until 1957 and left at a very young age, but I grew up watching NFL films. If we're going to be comprehensive, summing up the legacy of Jim Brown, we have to mention he had polarizing episodes in his life, go back to the late 60s when he was arrested on suspicion of assault with intent to commit murder against his girlfriend who police found Semi-conscious and moaning, as I read from the Wire copy here, on a concrete patio 20 feet below Brown's Hollywood apartment. The theory of the case was she was thrown from the second story, although the case went away because his girlfriend at the time told investigators she fell. And Jim had a few more allegations of domestic violence that are serious and I don't want to overlook. In fact, as we wrap up, This portion of his life, and it's part of the overall summary, in 1999, he was tried here in Southern California on domestic violence charges. He was convicted of a misdemeanor on account of vandalism. The judge required him to have a year of counseling and try to figure out what these issues with women were all about. Jim Brown refused, and instead had to face a six-month jail sentence, and he served four months. So I'm not just going to sit here and go into the platitudes of Jim Brown. Oh, close your eyes as we go back to yesteryear. Jim Brown had a complicated legacy, and I don't want to overlook those important allegations, but if we're just talking sports, and this is a sports show after all, nobody had a more impactful career as a running back, and I think it's pretty clear... He was the greatest football player of them all. Brian Weber in for Rich Eisen, 844-204-7424. Your tweet's available. B.W. Weber, Weber with two Bs. Coming up, I mentioned we'll get to the golf. Kepka won the PGA Championship yesterday at Oak Hill. How big of a victory was that for the Live Tour? That's on the way. Weber in for Eisen. It's the Rich Eisen Show. I'm Brian Weber, always having a great time with you when I'm lucky enough to be in for Rich and the Guys. Monday installment of the Rich Eisen Show, 844-204-7424. Twitter handles BWWeber, Weber Weber with two Bs. Just over 15 minutes from now, we will jump into our number two of the program, shift our attention to Lakers and Nuggets tonight in Los Angeles, Denver, should feel very good, Captain Obvious says, about the 3-0 series lead, but I'm gonna tell you why this series, unlike the absolute beatdown that we saw last night applied to the Celtics by the Heat, why the series between Denver and LA really has come down to a handful of moments and tells us as much about a Nuggets team, well coach learning how to win because that's the Body of work in the postseason. It's a learning curve in the NBA. Also reflects the limitations of the Lakers, who did well just to make it this far. That's coming up one hour from now, roughly 1.40 Eastern time. We'll bring in our first guest, Talking NBA, the wreckage of Boston and Miami. And we'll look ahead to the NBA Finals. It's not too early to start having that conversation when we check in with Kurt Heelan, lead NBA writer for NBC Sports. We play the hits. The goal is to be expansive, get everybody involved, not too narrow with our focus, especially when I'm doing a show of this magnitude. So if I'm talking golf, it's only going to be related to a major. There's only four of them. I'm not breaking down the Ryder Cup ever, or it's something Tiger-related. If I can do better in clock management here than Joe Missoula, I can incorporate all of those elements. Let's start with the PGA Championship. Saw it. CBS. Hello, friends. You heard great coverage, of course, with our partners on Westwood One from Oak Hill. So if you are interested in the actual details of what happened, I'm not going hole by hole, but a good sign if you're a Brooks Kepka fan that there was no lingering hangover from what he failed to achieve at the Masters. And I don't want to split the baby here. But it would be unfair to Kepka to say he gave away the green jacket. Yeah, he didn't play well over the Final 18. And remember, the schedule got funky because of all the rain. They had to play all of those holes on that marathon Sunday. But to me, the takeaway from the Masters was far more about John Rahm's brilliance than Kepka having a historic top 10 countdown, days to remember and days to forget kind of swing of emotion. So Kepka, compartmentalizing, maintained his focus. He's excited when the PGA rolls around. Most of us, to be fully honest, don't care that much. Remember, PGA used to be in August. It became even more relevant than it already was. It's the least prestigious of the four majors, clearly. But with the overwhelming attention we now pay to the NFL by the time we get to August most of us not only in the talk show business but as fans are far more interested in training camps and preseason football than the final major of the year so they pushed it to May trying to get it a little bit more resonance my favorite part of the PGA and the run-up this year understanding Tiger would not be there some of the commercials I saw saying it's the biggest trophy in our sport because the Wanamaker Trophy is large, and I know size matters. Assert your own joke there. I'm Brian Weber, in for Rich Eisen. We can have a conversation on Twitter, B.W. Weber, weberwood with two Bs. But beyond the actual dimensions of that trophy, the PGA Championship is nothing close to the biggest competition in golf. But Kepka has been good there over the years. Won three PGA Championships, if you want a little bit of... Where that puts some Tigers got four. Jack and Walter Hagan have five. That's good company to be in. And now Kepka, up to five overall majors, just one of 20 players in the history of golf to get the five majors. So he has moved into a much more distinguished tier. It means a lot to him. It means a lot more to the Live Tour. Although, just because Kepka has won another major, are you going to find your CW affiliate, if you even know what the CW is, and watch the Live Tour? In my opinion, heck no. Because the Live Tour is a gimmick. If you play 54 holes, it's not legitimate. It's an exhibition. And Twitter had its jokes yesterday. Hey, Kepka, remembered you got to play the final 18 when you actually compete in a real tournament. We know what the Live Tour is. It is abject greed by everyone involved. It is a cash grab. For the Saudis, it's sports watching. And I don't want to be more hypocritical than I normally am. If I got the call from the LiveTour, I've done a lot of sports. I'm not going to read the whole list for you. Got to find my bio. I wish there was a brianweber.com. I wasn't prescient enough on a big word Monday. Plus, nobody cares. But. Golf would not be my thing. My <laughs> is a little too big. It's amazing I've survived 20 years of Tennis Channel, I think. But if the phone rang and they said, hey, we want to have a different presentation on our coverage on the CW, the presentation was so jumbled last week when they were in Tulsa, and the fact that I know this is very strange, most of the affiliates, 75% of that network, quote-unquote, cut away before the playoff because they don't even care. But in terms of prestige, it's a win for the live tour. was it mean in terms of material, practical takeaways, nothing. Not one more viewer is going to sit down with a remote control, flipping around, looking for the live tour. We know what it is. We understand it's gimmick of a setup. If you've tried to watch on TV, and now I do sound like I'm 1,000 years old, the graphics are distracting. It looks like a video game. They've tried to come up with a team concept. All of it is a waste of time except for the participants because they've gotten paid obscene amounts of money because their employer has unlimited resources and the deepest pockets in all of sports. So if we're looking for what does this mean, the answer is nothing, in my opinion. I don't think one other person, because you already knew that Kepka was a sensational talent. Yes, from a historical standpoint, five majors changes everything. It puts you on a different plateau, but it does not drive eyeballs. It does not create interest from casual fans. And golf is a niche sport. Let's just tell it like it is when Tiger's not involved. So if you care at all about the legal battles between the tours and the Justice Department interviewing golfers during the week heading into the PGA Championship in upstate New York and Rochester, yeah, that's an interesting sidebar topic. And the continued sanctimony from Phil Mickelson, it was irrelevant although you got to give lefty credit he played damn well in augusta saying that he views his job as to hold the pga tour accountable phil just be honest you wanted the money and there are a lot of reports that lefty needs the money because reportedly allegedly he likes to gamble reportedly allegedly you can read alan shipnuck's book for all of those details but If Tiger's not out there, most of you don't care. Unfortunately, very unclear when we're going to see Eldrick again. Another procedure trying to keep the leg from being as much of a negative factor as it was so painful to watch him limping around Augusta. Tiger is a grinder. However you view him, this is his identity. He's going to be out there, even if he has no chance of being competitive. And I know he's shown glimpses, but you got to do it for four rounds. And unless they change, this would be ironic, unless they change the tradition and the bylaws and let him ride around in a cart, where's Casey Martin, his Stanford compadre, when you need him, that's not happening. So unfortunately for Tiger, it's only a question of, What's the future look like when we see him? Is he really going to be out there looking like half the person he was? If you're interested in Tiger, though, you can always follow what's going on in the tabloids. And I was generous to that. I spent more time on the fallout from his legal case. If you don't know all the details, his former girlfriend is suing Tiger for $30 million, in part because he alleged... Or she alleged that he had agreed to allow him to uh, continue their relationship. She was going to be able to stay at his house for 11 years. And then, according to her allegation, the locks were changed. She was lured to a airport and told by an attorney, the relationship is over. She says there's an NDA involved. A uh, judge claimed that was not irrelevant. Matter in a court case on Friday. Winding down here in hour number one. That means we got a lot more to get to. We'll get back to the NBA. We'll check in with Kirk Heelan, lead NBA writer for NBCSports.com. Straight ahead, are the Lakers even going to show up tonight? With LeBron, I don't think they mail it in. They're not coming all the way back from a 3-0 deficit. It's never happened in the history of the NBA. Will D'Angelo Russell even be allowed to play tonight? Has he been on the floor? I've seen him. Or is that the ghost of D'Angelo Russell? As Denver looks to make history, complete the sweep. If not tonight, they get it done in a few nights at home in Denver. Advancing to the NBA Finals for the first time in franchise history. Another big hour on the way. Pick up the phone, 844-204-7424. I'm Brian Weber. In for Rich Eisen. We roll on on the Rich Eisen Show.